Good morning, Fellowship. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here, and it's great to be back. Uh, Lovely to see a Middle Eastern-looking Jesus, don't you think? A lot better than the blonde-haired, blue-eyed version we often see in Hollywood movies. Um, We just came back not that long ago from Australia. We had three weeks there, and uh, it was great for all sorts of reasons. Um, Just before we left... Got to see family, grandchildren, it was lovely. But just before we left, Sandy, my wife, noticed on social media these words. He's coming back. And, and for a moment she thought, isn't that lovely? They're preparing the church for Ray's return. And then we discovered it was about Jesus coming back in the new sermon series. So um, the good news is, I, it's not that I'm coming back, that it, Jesus has come back. So let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, it is because you've sent your son not only to die and rise, the Christ is Christ has died, Christ has risen, but that Christ will come again. And it's because of his return that we are gathered in your name. And whether we're inside the circle of faith, loving and trusting you, or whether we're just exploring, curious, we just want to say thank you for bringing us all together and allow us to be presented with this majestic view of Jesus. And may our hearts be wooed. May they become tender to your word in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Now, we rightly say, do we not, that it's not how powerful your faith is, it's how powerful the one in whom your faith is in. Um, And that is true. Like, you can have strong faith in a weak chair, the chair will collapse. You can have weak faith in a strong chair, and it'll hold you. Uh, Jesus himself said, faith the size of a mustard seed, an itsy-weezy mustard seed, can actually move mountains. Uh, but it's interesting, four times in, Jesus, in God, Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you of little faith. And he's not using that as a word of, uh, as a compliment. Now, of course, let me be clear, little faith is better than no faith at all. Amen? You can't get from here to eternity without putting your trust in Jesus. And it's my prayer that whether you're here today, whether you're online, it's great to have you, or whether you're in platinum, that you would actually, if you've not yet done it, put your faith in the Lord Jesus. And yet, for those of us who have, it's very important that we understand faith is not a static entity, a fixed entity, that Jesus is expecting that our trust in him will grow more and more. Listen to what Paul says in his letter in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says this, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing what? Ah, there it is. But you cannot grow your faith unless you have a clear view on the majesty of Jesus. His absolute power, his precious goodness. Once those things are clear in your mind, then your faith will grow. Um, uh, I'm going to go to Matthew 14. We've just seen the lovely visual version of this. And firstly, in this passage in Matthew 14, we see the absolute power of Jesus growing our faith. Jesus has just fed 5,000 with five loaves, two fishes. He puts the disciples in a boat to take them to the other side of the lake. He goes on a mountainside to pray. It's still dawn. The sun hasn't risen yet. It's still dark. And the, the, the guys in the boat, the disciples in the boat, they're doing it hard. The waves are hitting them hard. The wind is hard. They're not making much progress. And before the sun rises, who should turn up but Jesus himself before sunrise? And uh, he's not swimming laps, laps on the Lake of Galilee. No, he's turned up all right. 
walking on the water. Now, I want you to, when we come to those words, walking on the water, I want you to say it like it's shocking, surprising, and amazing. Will you do that? Okay. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. When the disciples saw him, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Here's your classic Hollywood image of Jesus walking on water. Now, these young disciples, and it's worth remembering they are young in the faith, they were often terrified when Jesus flexed his God muscle over nature. And here is Jesus hovering like a hovercraft coming towards them, and they are petrified. Um, Now, if you're reading this for the first time, you're thinking, Jesus did what? Because we who read the Bible semi-regularly even, we're so familiar with the miracles of Jesus, we've lost the wonder of them. But understand, these disciples then are just as amazed as you are now. They were surprised then, it was surprising then, it's surprising now. But unlike you and I, they have already encountered the power of Jesus. They were in probably the same boat on the same lake, caught in a life-threatening storm, much worse than this, where they actually think they're going to die, and they wake up Jesus and they say, don't you care? Nothing worse than when someone doesn't panic when you're panicking. And I think, don't you care to Jesus? I don't know if that doesn't seem right. Anyway, he wakes up and he looks in the wind and the waves and says, be still. And immediately the wind and the waves collapse into ideal lake conditions. And then they're even more terrified because the one who has power over the, over the, over the, uh, the wind and the waves is now in the boat next to them. And they say to each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Friends, the purpose, one of the purposes of the miracles of Jesus is to get you to ask that question. Who exactly is Jesus? And we're about to find out who exactly he is. Now, don't be like the king of Siam. He, uh, he would not believe, he'd heard that rivers could get so hard that elephants would walk on them. And since he lived in Thailand in the 18th century, he had never experienced ice before. And so because he had never experienced ice, he thought ice didn't exist. He didn't believe that rivers could freeze over. So let me tell you, miracles exist whether you've personally seen them or not. And I hope today you might see one in someone becoming a believer in Christ. You know, even if these disciples don't know about the law of gravity, and let's face it, not even science can fully explain that, uh, they know this, human beings do not walk on water. Um, And so they're trying to process someone coming towards them in the middle of a storm on water, and they think that's got to be a ghost because only a spirit without a body is no longer bound to the laws of nature. And, uh, and so uh, uh, I love Peter. I love Peter's response. Jesus comes to him in verse 28. He says this, Lord, if it is you, almost to test whether it's really him, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, he could have said, Lord, if it's really you, what's my favorite color? <laughs> that would have been a safer option. But no, not Pete. Pete says, uh, I mean, seriously, who says this? Who sees a man walking on water in a storm and says, can I join you? I tell you who does, adrenaline junkies. People have got more guts than brains. That's who. People who do this sort of thing, abseiling. Um, 
And one day in the new creation, I am going to abseil when I can fly. In the meantime, I'm staying put. <laughs> but that's why we love Peter, eh? Uh, Peter, he's not stupid, though. There's no way he's going to put a foot on that water and out of that boat on the water without a word from Jesus. And he gets the word. And what's the word from Jesus? Come. One little word. And it's kind of like an invitation, a command, and a promise all rolled into one. Come. And that's exactly what he does. He takes Jesus at his word, gets out of the boat, and starts to walk on water. Verse 29. Then Peter got down out of the boat and came toward Jesus. Peter is doing what no human being has ever done in the history of the world since or before. It was amazing that Jesus did it. But let's face it, Jesus is truly God and truly human. Peter's one of us. He's just truly human. And he took Jesus at his word and walked on water. Now, I was there in July 1969 when we were gathered into one classroom to see a black and white TV show us the first man, Neil Armstrong, walking on the moon. Wow. But friends, now I know not everyone believes that Neil Armstrong actually walked on the moon. For those of you who don't, bear with me for a moment. But for the rest of us who believe it actually happened, think about it. How did he get there? A decade of research, billions of dollars, eight lives that had been lost so that Neil could walk on the water and say, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That took a lot of effort. Not so with Peter. One word from Jesus, come. And out he comes, doing what no man has ever done before, walking on the water. And that's what he did, and that's what he would have kept on doing if he kept his eyes on Jesus. But he got his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the power of the wind and started losing confidence. And there in the panic, he starts to drown. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, oh, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Oh, it was so exhilarating, so terrifying, so short-lived. Didn't last long. You know, Peter often gets it wrong before he gets it right, like the rest of us. But here he got it right, then he got it wrong. But he did get it right. And that is, faith is about, we saw it. Peter trusted Jesus when he got out of the boat and walked on water and he trusted in Jesus when he was drowning and cried out, save me. They were both expressions of faith. You know, faith can only grow if you have your eyes clearly on the absolute power of Jesus when we refuse to believe the lie that our situation is more in control, more powerful than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you need more than the power of Jesus. You need the goodness, the precious goodness of Jesus to grow our faith. Twice the word immediately is used in this passage. The first time the disciples, remember, they see Jesus coming and they're absolutely afraid. And immediately Jesus responds to their fear. Verse 27. But, immediately, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. I love the way in which he speaks to their fears by reminding them that he is God. It's going to be okay. Literally, it's take courage, I am. 
Well, that's the name of God in the Old Testament. That's the personal name of God. I am who you say I am. No, I am who I am. I am who you say I am is a hill song, which is a great song, but it's not the same. Exodus 3, 4. This is what God says to Moses in the burning bush. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So the God who parted the sea in the Exodus is now the God who walks on the sea and then invites Peter to do likewise. I like the way Job puts it in Job 9.8. He says, he, God, alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So in control is he. That is why you don't need to live a life of fear. Why? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, this God, the absolute power of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus for you, who can be, who can be against you? And again, you see, not just in the goodness of Jesus in calming the disciples, look what he does with Peter. How after Peter starts to panic and lose his confidence and then drowns, Jesus' first instinct is to rescue him. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. No surprise here in a way. We, we know Jesus' goodness, but if I was Jesus, I might have responded a little bit differently. I might have seen Peter panicking and thinking, I might let you suffer for a bit. I might let you drown a little bit. No, not, not completely. I might let you just sort of swallow a bit of water. You know, gobble, 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 gobble. And maybe on the third time, reach out and pull you out. And that's the difference between Jesus and, Je- uh, and Ray Galea. Because Je- that, you won't get that way. He will just instinctively come to you in the moment. You know, uh, it's a picture of what Jesus does to us all, isn't it? I don't know if you realize, the moment you turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus is the exact moment where you can know you're saved, where you can know you're adopted, where God is your father, where heaven is your home, where there is no condemnation for you. You know, it's not like Jesus got his arms folded and he's just waiting to see whether you're the real deal or not. He's not sort of holding off, like, I'll give you a probation period of three years, and if you stick with me, you know, I'll stick with you. You know, there's not a proving of yourself. The moment you cry out to Jesus is the moment you're a child of God. Amen? What a beautiful thing. God not only wants to save his people, ah, he wants them to know they're saved from the moment they come to him. Jesus is not, though, interested in teaching party tricks to his disciples to impress the crowd. That's not the point here. The real climax of this story is not Jesus walking on water. It's not even Peter walking on water. When Jesus gets in the boat with Peter, this is the climax. Verse 32. And when they, Peter and Jesus, climbed into the boat, the wind died down, reminding us who's in control. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you want to finish the sentence? Truly, you are the Son of God. That was the point of why Jesus walked on water. That is the point of why Jesus rose from the dead, so that you and I could confess Jesus to be the Son of God. 
Confess him to be the one through whom and for whom the universe exists. Confess him to be King of kings and Lord of lords, whose kingdom will never end. To confess Jesus the one who will rule the nations and have the nations bow before him. To, to respond to Jesus in total and complete worship 24-7. That's what they're doing in that boat because they saw that miracle. That is what Jesus expects us to do to confess him as Lord. I love the fact how Peter's faith couldn't quite get him to Jesus, so Jesus comes to Peter and rescues him. You know, when we struggle to keep our eyes on Jesus, and you and I know that struggle, he comes to us. And it seems to me this story is kind of like a picture for every Christian life. It's a kind of like, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Both faith and doubt are in every believer. Non-Christians disbelieve. But believers doubt. There's always a little part in you that doubts. And in one sense, Peter is a pattern for every Christian. You know, we put our faith in Jesus. We trust him. We seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. But at some point in some area of our life, we start to get shaky. You know, the wind seems bigger than the power of Jesus. And so our fears start to consume us and we start to panic. And it might be a financial crisis where you're getting bill after bill and you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay this. And your eyes are on the bill and not on the power of Jesus. Or you get a phone call from the doctor, I need to see you urgently tomorrow. And there's a health crisis and you're really starting to desperately fear what's about to take place. Or you're feeling the stress of work and you think, I can't perform to the expectation and they're going to kick me out I'm going to lose my job I'm going to lose my visa I have to go back home and I start to panic it may be you're starting to sense that relationship that is so dear to you is now starting to waver and become fragile and you're starting to fear that you're going to lose it and so often our panic forces us to our knees and we cry out to Jesus save me save me help But what you don't want to do is you don't want to grow your faith in the wrong direction. You don't want to grow your faith on false promises. That is deadly. Trusting words Jesus never made. See, the goal for you, based on this sermon, is not for you to walk out of this church with such confidence that you're going to go to Kite Beach and start to do your own walking on the Persian Gulf. You can do it. It's a free country. Go right ahead. I suggest you take a towel and a floaty with you because you're going to need it. This is a specific word to a specific man in a specific situation. Now, what's required of you and me is that we would confess Jesus to be the Son of God and then give him the worship that he deserves. Amen? Amen. And especially us, because we live after not only the death of, of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus and the appearances of Jesus. As Pastor Aaron beautifully reminded us, that, that, that what was passed on to us of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, so that you don't have to die for your sins. He did it for you. That he rose from the dead, never to die again, so that you can live with the assurance that you too will rise from the dead. Oh, Peter was right. Lord, save us. And, you know, wherever you are in the world, Sydney, Dubai, uh, Cairo, Colombia, whenever anyone cries out, save me, it is a beautiful thing. Um, 
few weeks ago when I was finishing up, I, I went to preach at my old church, started at 8.30 in the morning. We had a bunch of services there. And then I finished up at about 10 o'clock at night uh, at an eatery where we were just saying goodbye to people. And I was hugging person after person. I got to the last person and I didn't quite know them. Uh, and so I said, I'll give you a hug anyway. So I hugged them. And they said, don't you know who I am? I said, I don't think so. And they said, I'm Daniel Gooch. Daniel Gooch, you're the son of my best friend, one of my best friends. He, he, uh, he'd started coming to, to church. I said, Daniel, are you the same Daniel who everyone's saying became a Christian four weeks ago? Yeah. Daniel, I've been praying for you every week by name for 15 years. He said, you know, a lot of people have been saying that. I said, yeah, Jesus answers the prayers of his people. And it all landed with him saying, There he is. What joy it is to hear a man drowning in his sin and crying out to Jesus, save me. Is that not the reason why we're planning a third site in in Science Park? So that others whom we love, who don't yet love Jesus, could cry out, save me. You are the son of God and I want to worship you. Save me. But what surprises me is what Jesus says to Peter. You of little faith. Come on, what's what's surprising to me? Look at that verse 31. To Peter, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I feel like saying, uh, excuse me, Jesus, the reason why he probably doubted is because no one has ever walked on water before. (laughs) It seems like a good reason. (laughs) I, I mean, I feel like saying to Pete, Pete, wow, at least you didn't die wondering. You know, I mean, you're not like the rest of the guys. They didn't get out of the boat. You did. No fear of missing out for you. I want to give him a pat on the back and a shake of the hand. And yet, Jesus doesn't respond the same way. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, he's not angry with Peter. You've got to understand that. It's kind of he comes alongside and he's saying to him, Pete, did you think I was going to call you out onto the water and then abandon you? Do you not understand my absolute power and my precious goodness? That if I am for you, who can be against you, including the wind and the waves? Did you think after drawing you out onto the lake, I was just going to let you die? And of course, Peter's answer is obviously, of course not. I, you see, Jesus is saying, I led my people through the parting of the Red Sea. And here I am walking on the sea. So trust me. Trust me. You know, it's interesting to me, Jesus, I think a lot of the time we either say, you believe or you don't believe. They're they're the two categories. But we believers need to have another category. You know, am I growing or am I not growing in my faith? Because Jesus does not want you to stay a baby believer. I know it would be like children, but that's a different point. We'd have childlike faith. But the point here is, I don't want you to live a life full of fear. I don't want you to languish with little faith. You know, I don't want you drowning in your doubts. I don't want you to be content there. I want you to grow. I want you to trust me more and more. You know, a friend of mine had chemotherapy, and the doctor said the aim was to target the tumor, the cancer, and to shrink it. Not to remove it, but to shrink it. And I always think meeting Jesus in his word has the one goal of shrinking our doubts smaller and smaller as Jesus gets bigger 
and bigger. You know, at the end of the gospel, and a good way of checking to see whether you've understood the passage that you're reading is think about how the gospel began and how it ends. And it ends this way. In verse 17, Jesus appears in Galilee to the disciples before he rises, ascends into heaven. And we read, when they saw him, they what? They worshipped him, but someday, there it is again. And you think, you're kidding. You're actually looking at the resurrected Jesus whom you saw crucified weeks earlier. And now, now you're still doubting that it's the same Jesus? But, of course, the antidote to doubt is always the same. The majestic power of Jesus, to be confronted with a vision of how glorious our Lord is. And that's what he says next in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You keep your eye on the power and majesty of Jesus. Your fears and your doubts will shrink. Have no doubt. Understand this very clearly, friends. There is not a problem you're facing right now. There is not a person who intimidates you right now. There is not a power on the face of this earth that is, sits outside the complete authority of Jesus Christ and King of Kings. Amen? He is the one who is in charge and he alone. And you and I, we need to keep coming to terms with some basic questions like, for example, and I want you to respond nice and loud, who exactly is in charge of this world? Are you sure? I'll say it again. Who exactly is in charge of this world? Jesus. That's better. And who truly is to be feared? Jesus. <laughs> you went soft on me. And who truly is to be feared? Jesus. Yeah. What did Jesus say? Don't worry about the person who can kill the body. That's nothing. You worry about the one who can throw body and soul into hell. And who is worthy of your worship? Jesus. And who alone in this universe is the only person you can completely and perfectly trust? Jesus. Jesus, every time. And that's the Jesus who says to you, come to me and I will give you rest. And that's the Jesus who says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, there lies a world, a city and a world before us that is without hope and without Christ. You know, go and tell them that God has sent his Son, that we may be forgiven, and that the Son has sent his Spirit, that we may know him and worship him. Jesus is not interested in you walking on water, but he is interested in you walking with Jesus. Verse 20 teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, trusting Jesus in all of your life, not just part of it, to rely on him to the end of your life. My first pastor died as an atheist. Think about that. He didn't keep on trusting Jesus to the end. To lean on Jesus in the midst of your real fears. To hold on to Jesus when your heart is filled with doubt. To run to Jesus when you failed yet again. And to know he sits on a throne of, uh, uh, a throne of grace. You know, sometimes Christians say, I'm bored. I tell you this, if you're bored as a Christian... It's because you're a baby believer with no interest in growing your faith. 
Because if you're taking the claims of Jesus seriously, oh my goodness, boredom is your last of your problems. Because you're confronted with challenge after challenge. Will you jump off this cliff holding on to Jesus or not? Will you jump off or you play it safe? And that's the question for you. Are you going to jump off that cliff and take that next step? Or are you going to play it safe again? I tell you, the Christian life is so exciting because there's nothing like taking a step, even a little baby step, to know there is Jesus holding you again. But I tell you, this great commission to make disciples of all nations will be the greatest lie ever made were it not for the greatest promise. And there it is in verse 20. This is how the gospel ends. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, for the last 2,000 years I've kept that promise. And that is why the Christian faith is the biggest faith in the world. He started off with 11 scared disciples in an upper room. There's now over a billion (laughs) He says, if you think, if you, if, if you understand that I kept my promise for the last 2,000 years, do you not think I'll be able to keep my promise for another 20 or 30 years in your life? Of course I will. Trust me. I'm not about to tell you to be part of the Great Commission and then kind of abandon you on the spot. Now, with Jesus, we get to go forward. Amen? With Jesus, we get to live life without fear. Amen? We get to stretch our faith. Amen? We get to go where Jesus wants us to go, and sometimes we don't even know where that is in that next step. I always remember my mother-in-law saying, uh, my wife Sandy said to her mum, we're thinking about going to Dubai. And she was was not well, not close to death, but death wasn't far away. And, you know, you might have thought a woman in her 80s needed her daughter. And she said, I only want you to be where Jesus wants you to be. I only want you to do what Jesus wants you to do. And that's it. Brothers and sisters, this is our time. This city is our responsibility. This generation is our responsibility. Are you scared to take that next step? Good. Good. Feel, feel the, the, the challenge of what it is the, and the need to take some courage and to take that next step, whatever that next step is for you. See, I wonder on the last day, what will Jesus say of the Church of Fellowship? Will he say, oh, you of little faith. Or, ooh, nowhere in all Dubai and in the Gulf have I seen faith like this. Don't you want him to say the last one? Yes. So take that next step. What is that next step for you? It might be going from lost to found, from being far away to coming home to Jesus for the first time. It might be that you've been a consumer and played it safe, where you're on the receiving end and now you want to take the step of being a contributor and using those God-given gifts that he has given to you to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. It might be taking that step from two seasons to Science Park even so that you can be part of a new gospel community where Jesus is known. Now I know uh, uh, our Indian brothers and sisters are celebrating the fact that uh, India has placed... A, uh, a, a space vehicle on the south pole of the moon. Any Indians with us today? Not me? There's a lot of, less here than there are in the Creekside. Well, congratulations. You, you've already got bored with that, and you're now you're sending a, a, a spaceship to the, to the sun. But I want us to take us back to Neil Armstrong, 1969. You know when he put his footprint on the, moon, on the, on, on, on the moon's surface? There it is. That was over 50 years ago. You know it's still there now, that step of... Neil Armstrong, that step, is, that footprint is still there. And it's going to be there 
for a million years. You know why? Because there's no wind and rain. There's no atmosphere to disrupt it. It just remains as a legacy and a testimony to that first step that he took. I'm here to tell you, the step that lies before you will echo for eternity. And is that not a wonderful reason? Everything you do matters. Jesus is coming back. He is alive. And our obedience is remembered to the glory of God. So take that next step. But you can only do that if you forever have before you the majesty of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to say thank you for your awesome, majestic, glorious son whose absolute power, whose precious goodness lifts our spirits. There are, there are some here, Lord, who for the very first time are taking the hand of Jesus and are responding to the call to come and find rest for their souls in him. And Father, for, for the rest of us who have put our trust in Jesus, our oh Lord, uh, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, your power, your authority, your goodness. And Lord, as we do so, Lord, in whatever circumstances we, we are in, help us to remember there is no power, there is no person, there is no problem that is outside the authority of Jesus Christ. And with a vision of Jesus that big, help our fears and our doubts to shrink. And all for your glory, we pray. Help us by your spirit to take that next step. And all the saints said, amen. Amen. So take that next step, friends. And let's praise our God in the meantime.